that a church alive is still worth a drive. So we've got some people there from Greenvale. Give us a give us a wave there. <laughs> there we. There's Terry from Greenvale, and we've got people from down south. Um, and uh, but it's great to have everybody on board. People there from Pentland, all the way from Pentland. Oh, Ivan, give us a wave. That was a lousy wave. What? Thank. That was a good wave. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So. My prayer this morning is that this message will solidify your faith and uh, strengthen your resolve to live for Christ. Amen. Who knows that it's good to, to live for Christ? And, um, and also a big welcome to those listening on our podcast service. We're well over 2,000 downloads in a few months, so it's going really well. And we're pleased that the Word of the Lord is going out. And it's a great method of evangelizing. Just pass on your pod, uh, your pod beam uh, details to others and they, they too can begin to listen and it's filled with scripture can, which can only do you good. But in the midweek message titled The Council of the Lord That Shall Stand. What a good title. The Council of the Lord That Shall Stand. And um, I describe the eternal things of God in contrast and it's a big contrast with the temporal things of man and the ways of God. And the ways of man being diametrically opposed, meaning that they're not even a comparable thing. Some people say, oh, it's apples and oranges, but they're both fruit, and they can sort of do compare. But the things of God and the things of man, diametrically opposed, they're not even in the same paddock, not even in the same state, not even in the same country. That is the way it is. So uh, leaning on Proverbs 19.21 says, there are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless... Or but. Turn to the person next to you and say, or but. <laughs> oh, and it's a big but. <laughs> it's a real big but, that one. The counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Amen? We all have got our plans. We've got it. We, we think we know what we're doing. And, um, but in other translations, it says, the will of the Lord shall stand firm. Or Yahweh's counsel will prevail. The purpose of the Lord is unchanging, or God's purpose is unchangeable. What in the world is unchangeable? Almost nothing. I can't think of a thing. But it is of the Lord's purpose that prevails, says the NIV translation. So in a nutshell, you would say the counsel, will, and purpose of the Lord is unchanging and unchangeable, and will not only stand firm, but will prevail. And God's goalposts in life are never moved from one generation to another and are a time-proven constant to secure your future and eternity. Who's ever worked for somebody and they move with goalposts on you just when you thought you were finished? God's Word is never like that. And He's said from the beginning of time exactly His ordinance, His mind, His heart. It's unchangeable. And there is, there is nothing on the earth that is like that. Stability for all members of a family and a community is established when we are all reading from the same page. Wouldn't it be a great day when every member of the family is reading from the same book? Those 66 beautiful love letters called the Bible or the Word of God. But to wrap up the enormity of the contrast between the plans and objectives of man and the purposes of God... I have omitted that this time the Living Bible's translation of that very scripture. And there is none more direct than that that you'll read anywhere. I'll read 1921 again. It says, There are many plans in a man's heart. 
Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. But the five words, the living Bible cuts to the chase. And it says, man proposes, but God disposes. Isn't that a classic? It's an old living translation that I've got at home. Man proposes, but God disposes. How good is that? And that really is the absolute, in a nutshell, message. Here at this point, it would be an opportune moment to show you a picture, and I wanted to do that too, of the greatest city in the ancient world, of the Persians, and it was a city called Persepolis. And uh, that uh, it was grand beyond all cities in the ancient world, and it was said to be the most beautiful city in the whole of the ancient world. Grand staircases for world and prominent leaders to come and pay tribute and to pay homage and loyalty to a king and an empire swept over with the sands of time. Persepolis today, you dig for it in the ruins. The greatest and grandest of what the ancients could ever offer you. In one night during a drunken party 2,300 years ago, Alexander the Great's men torched the beautiful city, raised it to the ground, and reduced that amazing city of Persepolis to nothing more than a UNESCO World Heritage archaeological site. You see, that is the greatest of man's wisdom that can offer us. You can have the riches of the nations of the earth here today and gone tomorrow, but you can have a promise from God. Oh, it's backed by his name, it's backed by God's integrity, and it's backed by the assurances of God. When you place your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and God himself, integrity and all the power of heaven is back of it. And you say, oh, that's a difficult way to live, Jeff. But I want to say it is the best way to live. Otherwise, you too can remain an archaeological site. Amen? (laughs) I'd like this morning to expand on the similar vein, those simple words that forms part B to this two-pack message. The title being, Stand Approved of God. That was the message A, and I pray that you go and download it. Who knows with two-pack, you put A and B together, and you get something that is just not one plus one, but one plus one equals about a hundred, amen? Two-pack is a hundred times stronger when they brought together. So it is with this message. So again, we're confronted with the ways of men. This is talking about standing approved of God. We're confronted with the ways of men and the ways and purposes of God. And God is absolutely unapologetic in his word when comparing his thoughts and his ways to your ways and your thoughts. I'd like to go, if you would, to Isaiah 55. And um, Isaiah is the, the first of the major writing prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel... I uh, encourage you to bring your Bibles, bring a notebook and bring a pen and uh, allow God to speak to you and write it down. But I'll go from verse 6, reading from Isaiah 55 and verse 6. And this is God speaking. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Oh, there's nothing like the present to call upon God. Who knows whether you'll have another breath to do so. But let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord 
and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That is the absolute promise from God that he wants to pardon us from all transgression and all iniquity. Then he goes on to say in verse 8, and this is where I'm coming to. He says, for my thoughts, this is God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So when someone says, I think, or I think this, or I think that, God says from the outset, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'll go straight on and finish the chapter in verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. I've been a Christian for 30 odd years now and some of you here for a lot longer than that and you will be speaking to people here in this room today and they have put the Lord's word to the test and God has prospered them because they held the word of God above their own opinion. Amen? Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got two of them and they generally stink. (laughs) Amen? That wasn't in my notes but it's a good one, isn't it? The nearest body to the earth is the moon. It's some sort of 93 million miles away, I remember they telling me at school. That is, and that's not, we wouldn't regard the moon as the heavens, would we? Or the heaven of heavens? 93, and that's, and that's how high God's thoughts are above our thoughts. Amen? I'm five foot two. He's a long way above me. Oh, it's good stuff, isn't it? But standing approved of God. At the end of the day, whose approval do you want? And whose approval are we seeking? In life, there are many motivations that drive us and keep us doing the things that we do. We want to please often those around us, and in doing so, we seek their approval. Sometimes we'll do things out of our own conscience sake just to seek somebody else's approval. Gang members will often do things absolutely contrary to their own conscience, to seek the approval of its leaders and members. And peer pressure at school or even in the workplace will have absolutely similar consequences. You'll be doing things that rage against your own conscience, but because you're seeking somebody else's approval, you'll willingly go and do it, amen? Who can identify with that? Perhaps a work situation. You didn't want to be left out of the conversations, so you chipped in when you knew you should have stayed out. But to please our parents please your teachers, please our peers and colleagues, or to have their approval motivates us to live, act and work in a certain way. And we're all the same. We all have a tendency to want to be accepted. And it means something to us, often as a great deal deal to us, to have their approval. Sometimes you will go at great lengths to have somebody who is in authority to have their approval. We do that, we see that in family situations. What motivates you and I, and to whose approval do we seek as we live our lives? Just reflect on that for a moment. Whose approval have you always sought in your life? Scientists do some horrendous things because they are seeking the approval of their peers. They want their name up in the scientific journal, and so they do anything and everything to get their name in that. Approval ratings for government and leadership. Whenever you turn on the TV, they say somebody's approval rating is down or up or this or that. It seems like the whole political scene these days is 
is raging around what we call now approval ratings. And, uh, and they affect now the direction and, and of government, major government decisions based upon approval ratings, which are often wrong. Amazing, isn't it? God is totally undaunted, uh, totally undaunted by approval ratings. He is not looking for your approval. He is absolutely unmoved by your opinion. I think God, and I think this, and I think the church should, and I think this, and I think that, blah, blah, blah. God is not up for re-election, amen? Oh, he is not stepping down, and he's not stepping aside. Oh, he doesn't need our opinions. He doesn't need our approval. He needs none of those things, amen? He is a sovereign God who was and is and is to come and will remain that way, whether you like him or hate him, amen? Whether you like the people of God or hate the people of God. Whether you love church or hate the church. Whether you're here because it's just the family dragged you along or anything. God does not care. He does not care. He does not desire your approval. And he is not governed by it. And the reason why it will be similar into standing approved of God as the previous message. Because it, in both of these instances, man's sinful and fallen nature brings you in direct enmity with the things of God. Man in his natural state, before having received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, is raging against the things of God. I pray this morning that you'll be totally convinced in your life that you need nobody's approval. It's nice to have it, but God's approval. That's all you need in life. When making your next decision, when making your next mouse click, when, when you're walking past the next motel or the next gambling house or tax time sitting in front of your accountant, you don't need anybody's approval except God's approval, amen? Oh, that's that cut to the bone, that one sitting in front of the accountant. He said, Jeff, but it's just the tax department. I've got 666 over the doorway, Jeff. You don't understand. Oh, God's approval. It will bring you into absolute harmony and peace that you have never known. God's approval and God's approval alone in every decision and every action and every thought and intent and deed will bring you such a tremendous peace. We have always been called to be a people who are different, peculiar, amen? That's what we're called. And we're peculiar because we only seek and live life to the audience of one. Doesn't that make life simple? When you're making a decision, it is to the audience of one. The Bible says we're, uh, we're at possible, be at peace with all people. But when you read it through, you can see, but not at the expense of the gospel, not at the expense of the gospel. And in that way, we are an unyielding people. Stiff-necked, you might say, in that we will only serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? Jesus said, and uh, Jesus uh, meets with God's approval in Matthew 3.17 at his own baptism when he heard the Father's voice. And how beautiful it would have been when God's voice said, This is my Son in whom... I am well pleased. You and I will stand before God 
and I would love to hear those same words. This is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus never sought the approval of man because he knew what was in man. Amen? He knew what was in man. They wanted to make him a leader with a sword. They wanted to raise him up as a leader. He knew what was in man. Even even after raising up his disciples and people rejected it, and they said, can we call down fire upon them? And he says, you don't know what spirit you are of. Jesus knows what's in man, and there's not a lot good apart from what he has placed or deposited into our lives. Paul commanded the believers in Romans chapter 12, and he says, you'll know this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. That means God with God's approval, which is your reasonable service. To be acceptable and approved of God is what Paul describes here as our reasonable service. Live for God. How simple can it be? Before you put your feet on the, on the floor in the morning, just make a decision. I'm living for God. He goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is a perfect and acceptable. Acceptable means approved of God. There is an acceptable and perfect will of God that is approved of God, but your deeds and my deeds will declare plainly whose approval we ultimately seek. People go and live like the devil, and yet they declare openly that they pledge allegiance to the Lamb, but their actions refute their own words. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare, and, and, uh, and seeking man's approval while disregarding God's is a great error of sin. When we disregard God's approval, you're putting something else as an idol above God. But it does, uh, the Bible doesn't speak much about bad habits and misdemeanors. But it does use this horrible little word, a three-letter word called sin. It hasn't been erased from your Bible. It is actually still there. Psychologists won't acknowledge it. They said there's a reason for it, and it's certainly not your fault. Oh, it's not. It's probably God's fault that you sinned. Oh, that's going all quiet in here. But misdemeanors and bad habits, the Bible speaks nothing of. But it does speak very, very plainly about this three little letter word called sin. Saul, the first king of Israel, one of the greats, led for 40 years. He offered up sacrifices before his time. Remember that? He offered up a sacrifice. Why? Because he feared man before, be, be, more than he feared God. And that can be a snare to us. Fear of man will bring a snare and cause you to seek the approval of something that, which is not of God. An apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist and teacher and basically every believer, we're not here or appointed to win a popularity contest. The preacher of the gospel is in an amazing dilemma and Moses found himself to be in that dilemma. At times he wanted to kill the people he was asked to pastor and God says, don't you be hurting my people. 
But then a great time he stood up and God wanted to destroy the people. And Moses says, now don't you be hurting my people. (laughs) That's the dilemma of the pastor, isn't it? A preacher of the gospel, he's not here to tickle the ears of the people. And the reason is this. The, having your ears tickled will not prick the conscience of the self-righteous and the self-sufficiency of man literally hell-bent on doing his own will. We are individually hell-bent on doing our own will. And our will needs to bend to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am the Lord your God, I change not. God has left and stated his ordinances plainly, black and white, Words of Jesus, written in red, it's plain for all to see. You don't have to be a theologian to to read that, be holy for I am holy. What's it mean to be holy? What it's always meant. There's no deeper meaning. I'm not shepherding submarines here. It's all easy in surface and it's easy and clearly to read and comprehend, amen? But we're looking for loopholes, amen, to get out of the contract. But the preacher, he's got a preacher message which is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. That's what the gospel is. And my duty, and your duty when you proclaim the gospel, is to speak it plainly. (coughs) The message of the gospel, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. It's confronting, and it's an affront to any person who has ever lived. Amen? Amen? The gospel in its rawest form is an absolute affront to you and I in our old old nature before we come to Christ. And even after you've come to Christ and you're still dealing with your flesh, is absolutely opposed to God at enmity or at war against God. And our natural default position was one of defiance. We are defiant against God. Amen? And at war with God, we despise the cross and we said in our hearts, as Pharaoh did years and years ago, some three and a half thousand years ago, who is God or who is the Lord that I should obey him? Or who is the Lord that I should obey him? We were all like that before we came to Christ. And in that transition period, there is a war going in within your very, very soul. All there is. And will I do this or will I back off? Will I go back to my old life, my old life? I I was comfortable in my sin, satisfied in my sin. But the gospel is an absolute affront and and it pricks your conscience. Will I yield to the conscience and go with God or will I stay with sin? People will either love sin more than they love God and their walk is very, very clear to see. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says to his protege, young Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. How clear is that? Be approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so here we have here, you are either approved of God or you will stand ashamed. That is, that is the opposite, really, of being approved to God. When you stand before God, you will stand before him, absolutely approved of God. Well done, my good and faithful servant, or otherwise we'll be like this. We'll be ashamed. You may be saved, you may be accepted, but you'll be ashamed because you knew God's full approval didn't rest upon your life. Amen? 
And so Pastor Billy Sunday, he said, I will study, I will prepare, my opportunity will come. Billy Sunday was an old school preacher. I love old school preachers because they've never heard of political correctness. They haven't got a clue what it is. Haven't got a clue. Sounds a bit like me. But when his opportunity to, to arrive to preach the gospel, he preached with vim and vigor. And the churchmen of his day asking him, they said, quieten down, Billy, quieten down. And, but his reply, because he feared God more than he feared man, he wanted the approval of God, not the approval of man. His reply to those religious wet blankets was of the day I heard, it says, if they put me in a beer barrel, I'll shout hallelujah through the bunghole. <laughs> Who wants to lock their preacher up in a barrel? Oh, and through the bunghole you'll hear Jeff go, hallelujah! <laughs> it's a good message, isn't it? Stand approved of God. Stand approved of God. Don't be afraid of what man thinks of you. Put it off. Put it off. Just put it off. You cannot quieten a man filled with the presence and the power of God down. And a man who is approved of God has already decided in his heart that the fear of God dissolves the fear of man. And the more that you just serve God, the more that you know that you're standing approved of God, you'll disregard the approval of men. It's nice to have it. Sure, it's good. But you don't need it. And you don't want it if it comes with hooks in it. I remember years and years ago, I was working in a, um, a supermarket. I, I did the building maintenance of a, of a, a, a shopping centre in Townsville, and I had a contract there for nine years. Did all the cleaning, did all the grounds, did all, I'm a carpenter by trade, did all the maintenance and everything. It was great, and it was part of a business that I had. It was fantastic. And I was whizzing around in the common area with a big scissor broom. Who's ever seen those great big fluffy scissor brooms? And I was going around the donut store. And one of the workers behind the beautiful glass shelves, who knows those glass shelves in the donut store? All, the, all those anorexic people out there. I know none of you will know those people, what it's like. Anyway, she was there and there was a, and she yelled, at, she knew, she knew me, began to know me. She knew that I was a believer. And she yelled out over this, she said, Jeff, can God heal my back? Oh, I said, oh, of course he can. And then a, a few people started to gather. And she said, oh, I said, I, said, uh, I said, I only need to pray for you and you'll be healed. She said, really? She said, well, come and do it. Young girl, about 16, I think she was. Beautiful young lady. And here she was working behind a donut store. And there was about four or five people began to queue. And here I am with a scissor broom in my hand. Leaning over the donut shelf, all beautiful glass, smudging the glass I was. And I said, place your hand on your back. And she placed her own hand on her own back. And I prayed the prayer of faith at a distance of about six meters. There was a queue of people all hearing. And that was the last time I saw her for a long time. It was about six months later, she came walking into the supermarket, into the shopping center, sorry. And I saw her over there in the distance. I never knew the outcome. And I went and saw her. I still had the scissor broom in my hand six months later. I, I was on hourly rate, not on contract, obviously. And I went and I said, how are you going? She says, fantastic. 
And she said, when, she, when I prayed for her, she said, she said, if God heals my back, I'll probably go to church, you know. Oh, anyway. And she said, you know, the moment that you prayed for me that day, she said, I have never had a back problem since. Not a since. And she says, I made a promise that day. I said, yes, you did. She says, I better keep good, I suppose. I said, well, I think you should. Anyway, I've never seen her since. But I was seeking the approval of God. Sometimes it's not always convenient. A queue of people up there listening to you pray. But I just love the opportunity and her freshness and boldness just to even ask. Isn't it glorious? Approval of God will bring you into situations like that. And you put aside the approval of man. Sure, you may look a fool. But there will come a time in life, eternity will show that you won't be a fool for long or look a fool for long. Amen? Amen. Oh, in Jesus' name. Proverbs speaks of maintaining a reverential fear of God, bringing us to another statement declaring that the fear of man brings a sneer. But both these concepts and positions exhibit whose approval we desire. Do you desire through the fear of man to have approval of man or do you have a reverential fear of God? I just say have a reverential fear of God. It is so, it is a simple way to live. Sometimes challenging, no doubt. Absolutely. But do we want man's approval or do we want God's? And Joshua 24, 15, he puts the balls squarely in your court and he says, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. I will see God's approval, not man's approval. Amen. You too can do that today. I was going to read another scripture there, but I won't, but I'll just move right along. As a born-again disciple of Jesus Christ, as disciplined believers, we can do things out of a heart of worship and obedience and looking for the approval of God. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 3 of 4, it says, Paul there, he says, I don't seek your approval. He says, I am not judged by anybody except Jesus. Amen. He says it very, very plainly. And so for some people, particularly those born in the bush, they would say, okay, well, I'm, I'm my own man. I don't have to submit to anybody else. But let's read everything in its context. We read last week that wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your, love your wives. Children, be obedient to your parents. So in its context, there is divine order. So Paul is not saying he's not obliterating divine order, which the country bloke loved to do. Because he wants to be his own man. He's all-sufficient, self-sufficient, all-conquering. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need God. I'm not saying that at all. But Paul said, I am judged by nobody. In other words, I stand approved of God and him alone. That is different. But you see, he was stating very, very clearly it was God's approval and not man's that he was ever looking for. The Father's approval captured the heart of Jesus and was all the motivation that Jesus ever needed. He, Jesus always referred, I and my Father are one. Amen? All through Scripture, particularly in God's, God's, uh, John's Gospel, you'll see the heart of Jesus always connected to the will, the purpose, favour and approval of God. Who wouldn't like to hear your heavenly Father say, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. 
comfortable as anything. Counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Everything else will fade. Everything else is perishing. Your life and mine is just a breath. The grass withers, the flower fades. Is it but the word of the Lord endures forever? When everything, when every other opinion of man is but ashes and dust, the word of the Lord endures. It will hold your life so firm. And everybody is seeking this divine thing called peace. But it comes with a submission to God. And when you put that yoke upon your life, as Priscilla talked about in Matthew eleven twenty eight, your yoke to the greatest person in the whole universe, the creator of the universe, he made you, his love for you is immense, his love for you is intense, it's absolutely bone deep, and he loved you before he created you, before he made you. And we'll all stand before him one day, we'll all do that, and in the not so distant future, each one of us will stand before Almighty God. And to gain and have the approval of anything or anyone in life will now be the furthest thing from your mind. Your blokes at work, they're not standing beside you at that place before God. They're not standing before to that person who says, you don't need to go to church. He's no longer standing beside you. Oh, your mother says, oh, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to have a relation with Jesus Christ. They're not standing with you at this time. Your school teacher or your college professor, they're not standing with you. You are standing alone. They say the boxing ring when you're getting a beating is the loneliest place on earth. But I don't want to stand alone in heaven without representation. Jesus Christ is your advocate and your mediator. And he is the one who stands in the royal courtroom of heaven. And he's never lost a case, amen? Or would you plead the blood of Jesus over your life today? Or I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And before I pray the ironic blessing, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And there are some people here who need to pray this prayer. And so others, there'll be people here who have perhaps taken a step away from God and it's been a step too far. And I urge you to come back to the place. Come back to Jesus. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I, come to you now. I come to you now. I am a sinful person. I repent of my sin. I turn away the opposite direction with all my actions and deeds. Not just in words. Not just in words. Forgive me, Father, of all my sin. Forgive me, Father, of all my sin. Cleanse me with the blood of the Lamb. Cleanse me with the blood of the Lamb. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I invite the Holy Spirit to live in my life. I invite the Holy Spirit to live in my life. I come back to you now. I come back to you now, Lord. With all my heart. With all my heart. With all my soul. With all my soul. And with all my strength in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to finish right now with the ironic blessing. And about 10 years ago, I prayed this prayer. And a man said, I thought it was the ironic blessing. <laughs> and it is ironic. Because Moses in the wilderness and everybody was deeply grieved and in sin and backslidden in heart. They wanted to go back to G Egypt. And yet God said... 
This is how you are to bless the children of Israel. And three and a half thousand years ago, with every eye closed right now, in the ancient tongue, God said to Moses, this is how you are to bless them. And he said, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, peace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In this kingdom will know no end. And it's Ski. Okay. 